Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're continuing in point number one, point number one in our worksheet, our current worksheet that's available here at the radio station, and just uh, follow the instructions given by the announcer. And it'll take you to that worksheet, and you can download it, and I highly recommend it because you'll see uh, when you look at that worksheet, we've got so many scriptures we're working through that you can get lost if you're not taking um, diligent notes as you go along, and this will certainly help you by downloading that worksheet. And it's entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and we are looking at seven sets of terms that we are comparing, and in more, more cases than not, we're contrasting one with the other. And we're doing it, as you recall, that uh, because we are going to go through 30 uh, chronologically sequenced events of what's, what's going to happen next in Bible prophecy. And we're taking it all the way from today through 30 events that end with the end of the book of Revelation, which is the eternal state. And I've uh, put them in the best chronological order that I can come up with. And I was getting ready to present that as the next teaching series. But as I was going through it, I just realized that there were key terms um, throughout those prophetic events that are yet to take place that if you don't have a firm grasp, a, a biblical understanding of the difference between terms, that you can get easily misled, you can measly, easily misunderstand what's being said, because it's so important uh, for those of you that have heard the, the series or the program, rather, uh, individual program on how to study the Bible, it's so important to ask the, uh, the, the uh, five W's and an H, you know, the who, what, where, when, who's speaking to whom about what. It's so important to understand that. So we are looking at the first of these seven points, the, uh, the points being the Son of Man contrasted with the Son of God, then the Day of Christ contrasted with the Day of the Lord, number three is the Gospel of the Kingdom contrasted with the Gospel of Grace, number four is the Olivet Discourse contrasted with the Upper Room Discourse. Number five, the covenant promises to national Israel contrasted with the covenant promises to the church. Number six is the sheep and goat judgment contrasted with the great white throne judgment. And then finally, number seven, the Gog-Magog war found in Ezekiel contrasted with the Gog-Magog war found at the end of Revelation in chapter 20. A lot of people, either one, don't understand them, which is generally the case, or two, they've heard people talk about it and really don't have a, a, a reasonable, certainly not a good grasp on what the difference is. And if you don't understand the difference, as I said earlier, you can get easily 
misled and misunderstand what God is trying to tell us. Because as we study the scriptures, and that's what this teaching uh, program is all about, this teaching ministry is all about, is studying the scriptures and specifically the prophetic scriptures. Remember, about a third of your Bible, as you look at your Bible, the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, about a third of that Bible is prophecy. God wants us to know what he has planned. He's told us what he has planned and it has come to fruition. It has come to fruition in such great detail that that should give us the confidence as we read the future prophecies to have the same degree of confidence that God will bring it to pass. And we've covered so many scriptures in this um, teaching ministry to support that point. But I want you to, I want you to, to grasp today the importance to God of you studying his word because the scripture tells us, as a matter of fact, it's not in our worksheets here, but let's, let's go to second Corinthians. So let's go into the new Testament and let's go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then get into the two books uh, to the Corinthian church written by Paul and go to second Corinthians and go to second Corinthians chapter five and he's talking here about the Bema Seat. So he's talking to the church, and he's talking about the judgment of the church. And we've talked about this in some detail, and we'll talk about it again because it's so important over and over again here to make sure we understand that the Bema Seat is going to be a judgment with rewards. There's no judgment for sin because this is the church. Jesus has died for our sins. We've accepted his death, burial, and resurrection and the fact that he is the Son of God that has provided the sacrifice, and therefore our sins are forgiven. In fact, the scriptures we've read in the past show us that there will be no regard to sin at the, G- at the uh, Bema seat. But I wanted you to see uh, particularly verse 9, but let's read verses 9 and 10 for context. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Therefore we also have as our ambition, and again, this is Paul talking to the church, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Him is God. Our ambition is to be pleasing to him. And why is that? Look at 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And we're not going to get into the details here. We've, we've talked about it before, and again, we'll talk about it later on, uh, about the Bema Seat. This Bema Seat is different from all the other judgments. There's four major judgments. This is the one of the church, and this is the one where there's no regard for sin. Sin has been forgiven. So it is what we want to do is have as our ambition to be pleasing to God. And that begs the question, okay, Steve, What's pleasing to God? Well, you know what? God's a gracious God, and he tells us in his word what pleases him. So let's go from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to the right in your Bible, and let's get into it. Galatians, Ephesians, and then Colossians. So the third of those four small books right there before we move into the uh, Thessalonians. Let's go to Colossians. Uh, the fourth book, I should say, the fourth book, Philippians, Colossians. We want to go to Colossians chapter 1, and we want to go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 8. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 8, and it says, uh, just to jump in here for context, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So he's talking to the, he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae. So he's talking to the believers at Colossae, and he's referring to having been informed about their love in the Spirit for God. And verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, heard of what? Your love in the Spirit for God. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And then it tells you what pleases him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what we're doing here today, what we're doing when you're in church, when you're in Sunday school, when you're doing your, your, your personal um, prayer time, your personal Bible study, whenever you are in God's Word, um, and I, I guess I should say doing it in an effective way, uh, you can simply read it as an academic exercise, and yes, the Holy Spirit can work through that. The Holy Spirit can use that. Um, but when you really get into and study his word line by line, verse by verse, and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into an understanding of what's being said by whom, to whom, about what, during what circumstance and what time, the scriptures just come alive, and you get excited about it. Hopefully you can hear that in my I get excited about this because God reveals himself to you, the individual, through principally through Bible study. Yes, he uses other people, other circumstances, but principally through the study of his word and then sharing that with other people. This is what pleases God. So we are in this ministry, we make it our purpose of this ministry is to please God by studying his word and to edify. We are all edified. I, I get edified as I, as I prepare the, the, um, the program lessons, and you get edified by going through the scriptures with me, uh, or at least I pray that you do, because getting in and doing the work is where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and speaks to me. Yes, reading the scripture is good, but studying Exploring the Scripture is what really uh, allows the Holy Spirit to work in and through you to reveal this all to you. So to use all that as a backdrop here as we get into uh, a continuing point number one here in these uh, important prophecy terms, um, you can tell as you go along here, I've got more Scriptures here for the Son of God and Son of Man than any of the others because I really feel through my study anyway um, that understanding the role of Jesus as the Son of God compared and contrasted with the role of Jesus as the Son of Man, they're so different, and they apply to different groups of people at different times that if you don't grasp that, uh, when you read that term, you're just going to roll right over it and not understand. And to, to grasp the difference between the Son of God and Son of Man, realizing, yes, it is Jesus, but he manifests himself in different ways, just as we'll learn later on about the Holy Spirit, that 
he manifests himself as the son of God to one group, and he manifests himself to, uh, to another group as the son of man. And to understand that distinction will really, really open your eyes and allow the, the scriptures to just flow out before you. So we want to continue on here, a little bit of a, <laughs> an introduction, if you will, but I just felt led to, to talk about that because this pleases God, and that's really what we should all be about. I mean, that's why we're on the earth, is to glorify God and to please God. So we are in uh, point number one, the Son of God, and we've gone down. We were in Deuteronomy 18 and then in Matthew 17 uh, talking about why, uh, why Jesus why did God send Jesus? And we developed all that because when he married Israel at Mount Sinai, you know, 1,450 years before Christ, that um, the people said, we are fearful of God. We're afraid of God. We don't want God to speak to us directly. We want him to speak through you. And they were talking to Moses at that time. So God said, you know, these are good people. So I will, I will do that. I will speak through you, Moses. But then a wonderful prophecy, a wonderful promise was given to you and me and to everyone in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and you see that on your worksheet, that's verses 15 through 17, and this is where God promised through the Holy Spirit, through Moses, um, that God would send another person like Moses uh, to us and that we should listen to him. That The key thing is to listen to him. And if you don't listen to him, you will perish. In other words, you will go to Hades and ultimately stand before Christ um, at, the, at the great white throne judgment and go into the lake of fire. So he has given us this clear promise way, way in advance. This is, like I say, from us today, it's about 3,400 years ago that this promise was given to everyone that he was prophesying Jesus Christ would come. And then we spend some time in Matthew 17, which is the um, tra- the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, uh, Matthew's relating what happened to uh, three of the apostles, and they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus in his transfigured form, and along with Jesus, they saw Moses, and they saw Elijah. And the primary purpose of that was one, well, there were two purposes. The primary purpose um, is to show that God is saying, Jesus is my son. He is more important to me than Moses. He's more important to me than Elijah. Because remember, the people, the Jews, really, really focused on Moses. And they had a very high regard for Elijah. But they were having a very difficult time with Jesus this man that had come in physical form and then was born to supposedly born of Joseph and Mary because uh, they didn't understand the, the immaculate conception. And, G- and God was saying, no, 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 this is my son, not Moses, not Elijah. You are to look to my son, and it's my son that you should listen to. Not, well, not to not listen to Moses, but realize that the primary purpose, the primary person, I should say, is my son, Jesus. And to show you, we're going to come back and spend a little bit more time on that, and I want to develop it in another passage as well, because I think it's so important to understand this aspect of Jesus and why God sent him and why this Son of God is so important to us. But I wanted to show you something really interesting uh, in the Scripture that a lot of people I don't think appreciate 
is the fact that when this promise was given that by uh, Moses through the Holy Spirit that there would be a prophet come like him, uh, listen to him, and that he was certainly uh, alluding to uh, Jesus coming, that God actually allowed us to know when he would come so that when he came, you would not be surprised that the scriptures tell you in advance when he's going to come to present himself as the Son of God that had been promised by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 17. So if you would, we're going to go to a couple of places here to make that point. Uh, And let's go, the first one is in Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you're in about the middle of your Bible, just grab a chunk of pages there in the middle of your Bible, and you'll probably find Isaiah or Jeremiah. Keep going to the right, and then you'll come to Ezekiel and then Daniel. And we want to go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and of course, this is one of those prophetic um, promises, These, these the, one of the greatest prophecies in all of the Old Testament, because it basically tells uh, the history and the future of Israel, all in a matter of just a handful of verses right here. And of course, the rest of the Bible develops this. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people. Now, Daniel's being spoken to. Daniel's a Jew. So these 70 weeks have been decreed for the Jews and for your holy city. That's Jerusalem. So it's very specific. And we've made this point before in this ministry, um, radio ministry, that this is about Israel. It's not about the church. It's not about anybody else. It's about Israel. And it's, it's talking about, it's giving a timeline, if you will, for the future of Israel. Because Daniel was writing in the 6th century B.C., and this prophecy of the 70 weeks doesn't start until the 5th century B.C. So Daniel was even talking future prophecy. And it says 70 weeks have been decreed. So 70 weeks, and we don't want to go through the details of it here, but it's a fairly well-developed fact that this is actually 77s of weeks or years, so 490 years, 490 years. And it says uh, by the end of the 70 weeks, there's uh, a number of things here that are going to take place, and we'll talk about that in another teaching series because it's very important that we understand these points here in in verse 24, but we're not going to do it now. But it says in verse 25, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree, and that would be in the fifth century, a hundred years after Daniel, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So basically it's telling us that of these 490 years, 483 years would pass from the issuing of a decree, which you find in Nehemiah chapter 2, until the Messiah is cut off. So they're told to look forward from a point in time in the future, go forward 483 years, and that is when this promised prophet in in Deuteronomy 18.15 would reveal himself. So there's some detail in the New Testament to corroborate what we just read here in Daniel. And it's so exciting. I want to share that with you, but we're going to do that in our next program because we want to get to a new question that has been submitted by a listener. 
Uh, and it's a, a rather detailed question, but I think it's so exciting because it shows that um, people that are listening to the program uh, have been doing some pretty extensive Bible study and have a degree of understanding of Scripture that is not uh, not all that typical. So I wanted to uh, share this, and this comes from Rich in Indian Springs. Rich in Indian Springs, and here's his question. According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, the restrainer of evil, who is the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way so that the Antichrist can come on the scene to start the seven-year tribulation. So here's his question. If the Holy Spirit is removed, how are the tribulation saints of Revelation 20, verse 4, saved during the tribulation? And I I think that is such a great question because just rationally thinking, if the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way because the Holy Spirit dwells within the church, and by taking out of the way, it doesn't the, the, the actual Greek does not mean just set aside. It means taken out of the picture. So he's removed from the earth. Does that, you know, basically does that mean the Holy Spirit's gone? And if the Holy Spirit is gone, during the seven-year tribulation, then how in the world can anybody be saved during the tribulation? And we know for a fact, in fact, uh, Rich even quotes a key passage here um, about people who are saved out of the tribulation. It's going to be a very difficult thing to do to be saved. In fact, the people that uh, Rich refers to in Revelation actually lose their lives in the tribulation because of their faith. But we want to we want to get into that, and we're going to spend some time in that because this, this I think, is an excellent opportunity to really develop an understanding of how God works, uh, particularly through the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works differently. Remember how we talked about how the Son of Man and the Son of God are the same person, Jesus Christ, but they're manifested in different ways. The same thing with the Holy Spirit, the third member of the triune Godhead, Manifest is manifested in different ways in different parts of the Bible uh, according to God's plan. So to be able to understand that really opens up your eyes to the flow of Scripture and to see God's plan unfolding and how he works that plan. It, it's so important to understand that. So what we want to do, Rich, is to uh, first of all go to the Scriptures that you have given us, and the first of those is in the New Testament, Second Thessalonians, so you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and then get into, uh, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, um, Philippians, Colossians, and then you get into Thessalonians. And Thessalonians was written by Paul to believers in Thessalonica, Greece, who were concerned that they had missed the rapture, because Paul had gone there. And I know that people will tell you you're not supposed to talk to new Christians about prophecy and uh, things concerning the end, which is called eschatology, the study of end-time events and so forth, because it scares them. Well, no, it doesn't scare them. Actually, it fortifies people, and actually more people are saved through a, a um, um, study of, prophet, of prophecy than they are under uh, just straight, straight evangelism because understanding prophecy is where we get our hope. And our hope is what, what's going to happen to us when we die? 
Well, a, st- a study of biblical prophecy gives you a full understanding of that. It gives you a, a rich confidence of what's going to happen to you. And um, if you read it as an unbeliever, <laughs> I, can't un- I can't understand how you can't possibly become a believer because what happens to you if you don't believe in Jesus Christ is really horrifically bad according to God's word. And I would think it would scare anybody into considering who Jesus Christ was and to seek him through his Holy Spirit. So that's what uh, Paul was doing. He, he right up front started teaching about prophecy with the, uh, the folks at Thessalonica and got right into the rapture and the second coming, uh, all those, those sorts of things, but primarily about the rapture because they were afraid that they had missed it. So he's, he wrote them Second Thessalonians to allay those fears because after he had taught to them in First Thessalonians, he left, went, uh, went elsewhere, and somebody came along behind him and sowed seeds of discord. And he refers to that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And he's coming to correct whatever misinformation had been sown behind him uh, to uh, allay their concerns. So let's go ahead and look at Second Thessalonians, and let's start at verse 1. Let's read for context all the way down through, uh, through verse 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So there he is talking about it right there. There's the, the rapture, being gathered to him. That you are not, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And of course, we'll, we'll learn about the day of the Lord in our um, important prophecy term series that we're currently in. So we make the distinction between the day of the Lord and the day of Christ. Verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, that's the Antichrist, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Isn't that a wonderful question to remind them? Verse 6, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth, and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. All right, we're going to um, develop this further uh, and then read Revelation 20, verse 4 in our next program because um, we've really got us a good question here from Rich in Indian Springs. We really want to develop this in a number of ways 
to uh, to get him a good good uh, detailed answer for this. So we'll do that. We'll continue in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, the basics from Consider the Ant. Simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.